So I don't know if you've noticed this in America, the church has become a place that you go to rather than who you are. Um, I grew up in a tradition where um, a church was a place, a building that I attended on the weekend, but the concept of me being the church was something foreign to me. I'd never heard that idea, never thought about that idea. I didn't think of it as a community as much as I thought of it as a building. And think about it for yourself. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you say church? Most of you, if you're like most Americans, you think of a building, a place where you attend, a place where you go for worship. You don't think about the idea, the New Testament idea, that the church is a community of believers who gather together and worship God. That's essentially what what a church is. It's an assembly, a gathering of people. You can go all through Europe and you see these beautiful churches. They're, They're spectacular. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're beautiful. And the point of that is you would look at them and you'd take pictures of them and you'd say, what a beautiful church, what a gorgeous church, what incredible architecture in the, bu- in the building, the flying buttresses and all these, these beautiful, uh, the beautiful, uh, the, the, the art, the design, it's just gorgeous. And you don't say a word about the people. Who's there? And many of these churches you walk into and there's no one there and very few people there. And, and so you think about that and you say, is that the church? I mean, what is the church? What is the church? And I think that, interestingly enough, when you look at the New Testament, uh, the concept of the church is never about a building. It's never about a building. There's not one word about how a, a, the church is a building. It's always about a community of believers. And, and interesting, uh, the first church building wasn't until 300 A.D., 300 years after Jesus was the first church building. But look at it today. Today, all we think about is a building when we think about church. We don't think about community. We think about a, a building. And I think that's wrong, and I think we need to figure, figure it out. Um, because we need community more than ever before. We are a divided world today. We are, we are, we are a, uh, oh, we'll do a survey here in a minute. But um, the, our society has changed over the last 60, 70 years. And it's changed because of two things. The, the automobile and the interstate highway. Why? Because now we can travel. I remember when I was a kid traveling from my hometown to Buffalo, New York. It seemed like the longest trip in the world. It's about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes now. It just seemed like it took all day. And it was like we're going to the other end of the world. And, and nowadays you think about, you know, well, I'm, I think I'm going to be going to Chicago or I'm going to go to, to Minneapolis or I'm going to go to wherever. And you say it's a five-hour trip and it's nothing. It, you, you can go there and you can live there. So here's the, here's the survey I want to do in, in the audience, whether it's the Kennedy campus or the Rorschach campus, or just if you're watching online. Think about this. I want you to just think about it. And if you're in, the, in one of the audiences, just raise your hand. How many of you grew up here in Dubuque, Iowa? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you did not grow up here in Dubuque, Iowa? Generally, the survey, it, it, they, Pew Research did a, did, a, did a study and they basically said 60% of Americans, 
move from where they were born and live somewhere else. Now, what does that mean? That means that you used to have a supportive family around you. You used to have people who you knew around you, neighbors that you knew, people you grew up with that you knew. You had connections. But most of us are now in places where we don't have family. We don't have connections. We don't know people. It's hard to get to know people because we live with not just one garage, but three garages and three or four cars. And we pull our cars into the garage. We go into the house. And it's kind of like there's a plague out in the community. You know, we don't interact with people. We might run into them, but, but we're not in our yards and we're not playing on the you know, streets. So we're there's a real need for community in our world today and uh, friends are hard to come by and it's interesting because people I think you know when 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 we do surveys in churches we uh, we always want to know is the church friendly and and I think it's important for a church to be friendly but you know what's more important than that it's more important than a church is a place where you find friends find friends it's nice that it's friendly, but if you're friendly, you're going to a friendly church, and when I, even when I say going to, you understand what I mean, because that's wrong, to, and that's not biblical terminology, because a church isn't something you go to, it's something you are, but, but take use, of, you, you understand what I'm saying, but so, so think about that for a minute, the idea that you are going to a church and you have been going to a church that's friendly for five years, but yet from that church, you don't have one or two or three close friends from that community. You say, what do you need more? Do you need a friendly church or do you need people who become your friends that are part of that church community? And I think the second one is what we're talking about. And I think it is important because God created us for community. We no longer have families. Some of you have families and it's not good that you were connected to them because it wasn't a healthy environment. And so, so being connected to your family wasn't a healthy thing. It wasn't a good thing. But you don't have family, so who do you connect to? And one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is where you become brothers and sisters, you become family with each other, and you find a new family, you find a spiritual family. Because it may be that you live in this community and now you've found a, a spiritual family and they become closer to you than even your biological family. They get you, they understand you, they, they know where you're at, they know what's going on in your life. And so you have friends and friendships within the body of Christ that are much deeper than even with your own family. And that's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. Because God created us for community. We all need those times of friendships. So what we're going to look at, we're going to finish the book of James this weekend, and we're going to look at, James is going to talk about the church. He's not going to talk about a building. He's going to talk about a community of believers. And he's going to say some interesting things. So let's dive into it. James chapter 5. So you should have gotten a bulletin as you walked in, or uh, online we have a bulletin you can look at. And uh, inside are the sermon-based study note questions. And, uh, but on the outside is just kind of a fill-in-the-blank. It'll kind of give you an idea of how much longer I'm going to be talking. Okay? Um, but James chapter 5, let me start at verse 13 and then read through verse 20. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. <clears throat> is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So let's talk a little bit about this passage. There's two things I want to say about the church. The first thing I want to say is the church is where you find healing. I think this is one of the the most interesting passages in Scripture on divine healing uh, in the New Testament. It's very interesting because I think what James does here is he gives kind of an outline of divine healing. And he gives us a a number of important uh, important steps for divine healing. Now, what what do I mean by that? When we're praying for God to heal us, what what are the steps we ought to take? Well, the first one is, Call the elders to pray over you. Uh, So in a sense, uh, one of the responsibilities of elders and one of the responsibilities of leaders in the church is to pray over the flock. And that happens on a regular basis. That just happened last weekend where somebody was sharing with me. And uh, I said, hey, can I pray with you? And And I, right then and there, I got the family in a circle and we just prayed. That is what we should be doing. We should always be a place of prayer. And I, I think this is a community of prayer. We believe in that. And it happens on a regular basis in this hope community where somebody will say, hey, would you be willing to pray with me? And I'll grab an elder. Sometimes I'll grab some of you and I'll say, hey, would you join me? We just want to pray. You may see us. We'll be up in this corner, up in this corner. We'll put a chair down. We'll, we'll lay our hands on a person. We'll pray for that person. And you know what I love to see when we do those prayer times? I love it that we start out with three or four or five people praying. And by the end of it, there's 10 or 15 people praying because they had just joined in. They just put their hands on. They just pray. And what do I do? I say, I say to the person, say, tell us what's going on in your life and tell us how we can pray for you. And we just lay hands on it. And I say, pray loud so we can all hear because the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name and agree, there I will be. And so we, we say, I want to hear what the prayer is. And then we just pray for that person. That is what, we, what James is talking about. He's saying that when we're sick, we ought to pray. We ought to ask the church to come and pray with us. And, and we believe that's really important. Um, here's the other thing that you'll find. That the more connected you are, the more people will be praying for you. The more on the outside that you are. And by the way, that means you have to take the steps to become vulnerable. You have to take steps to get connected. And I know that's hard, especially if you're an introvert. But the more connected you are, the more you'll find that people will be around you and supporting you. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The second thing that James says, very interesting, he says, and anoint them with oil. So we're moving our offices back in here. We've been doing a renovation. It just, it's a, it's, I don't even want to get into it. It's, we've been living in, in the, this, and we're moving in. And so I moved my stuff back early just so I could help on Thursday, move everybody else back. And I have this, uh, this little beaker of oil that I've used a couple times because this James says, use the oil. And I was studying this passage, and I've always been kind of baffled by it. What is going on here? I mean, 
should I take the oil and pour it over their head, rub it on their face? What, what should I do? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't say anything here. And I, 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 you know, I've been looking at it. I've been listening to, you know, the different people talking about it. And I think I've come to a point where I think I understand what James is saying here. Uh, here's what we tend to do. We tend to look at this and we say, there's something spiritual about the oil. Like we can pray for somebody in a circle here, but when you get the oil out, then it really gets real. The Holy Spirit really shows up. Pour as much. Make sure it's olive oil. You know, just, you know, if you can bless the oil first. And I'm going, yeah, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. But you know, Scripture helps interpret Scripture. So jump over for a minute. Jump over to Luke chapter 10. The verses will be up there, a portion of it. Remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan? He's walking. He get, uh, a man gets beat up. And then the Samaritan walks by. Notice what the Samaritan does. A Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him, right? So what did he do? He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. Pouring on, what does it say? Oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Here's what's going on with the oil, I think. It was medicinal. It was medicine. What James, I think, is saying here is this. That we tend to make, we spiritualize the oil and say this must be something spiritual. No. It was their medicine. We have a much more developed medical uh, practice and, 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 and we have more medicines and we have more doctors and we have more procedures and clinics and x-rays and all this stuff. We have all this. They didn't have it. And so this is what they had. They had oil and they had wine. They had a, a, a rudimentary form of medicine. So what James is saying is use the best medicine that you have and pray. Now think about that. Where are Christians in this whole idea of divine healing? You have a continuum. You have some people who are all over here about the spiritual. It's all spirituals. I don't trust doctors. I'll never go to a hospital. God's going to heal me, heal me divine. It's got to be a divine healing. If I, I don't, if I don't have enough faith that God could heal me without using radiation or the best medical practices or the best medical procedures, I trust God. My faith is big enough to trust God and I'm not going to put myself under those treatments that those doctors are using now. That's one side. And the idea is it's spiritual. It's faith. We have to have enough faith. I'll never go to a doctor. I'll never have that procedure. I'll never go and get modern medicine. The other side is this. It's all about the medicine. It's all about the procedures. It's all about the... If you want healing, you've got to go to a hospital. You've got to go to a clinic. And you never pray. Divine, oh, good for you. If you want to pray, that's nice. But come on. It's the medicine. Here's what I think James is saying. It's both. It's both. It's faith. It's prayer. And it's medicine. At the same time, it's balanced between the two. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both and. And so here's how I pray generally. I prayed this last weekend in that corner over a family. Here's what I prayed. I prayed, Father, I pray that you'd heal this, this man from cancer. And I pray that you'll do it through medical or through the miraculous 
or any combination of the two don't really care, it's your healing. Because you know what? You allowed these doctors and these researchers and these other people to create new ways of treating diseases that we never had before. See, all truth is God's truth. So, so, so I think what James is saying is something pretty important. He's saying medical healing is not just prayer and it's not just medicine. It's both. And God, I don't care if you use a little, 50% of this and 50 or 80, 20 or doesn't really matter. If you want to heal them on the spot, you will. If you want to heal them through the doctors, you will. But we're going to pray and we're going to do everything we can. I believe that's what James is saying. I think it's clear from the text. Then he says something else that's very interesting. He says the prayer must be offered in faith. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we, now we have the prayer of faith. This is all over the place, right? So I think I'm going to do a blog article on this, you know, coming up here. Because as I was in this, I was thinking, oh man, here we go again. So that now it's the prayer of faith, right? And you got to have, you got to muster up the faith and you've got to speak against the disease or the sickness. And I, I command you, you disease, you sickness to come out of this person. And, 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 you know, it, you're, you're commanding, you're demanding, you're, you're, you're cursing out the darkness, you're, and, 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 that I've heard people say this. I've prayed with people who have been through this. They say, I prayed that God would heal me. I asked people to pray over me. And I'm still struggling with this. And I was told that it was my lack of faith that's keeping me from being healed. I mean, it's not God. We know it's not God, right? God can heal anyone. He's not, he's not lacking power or ability to do it. So if you're not healed and you take that view, then whose, whose fault can it be? It's either you as the person who wants to be healed or it's the person who's not praying with enough faith. So let me show you another passage of Scripture that I came across. So this man comes to Jesus. This is Mark chapter 9. You can just put the reference down. I think it'll be up on the screen. 9.21. Jesus uh, asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if, but, if, but if you can do anything, take pity on and help us. And Jesus says, if you, if, if you can, everything, every, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father explained. Notice what he says. Here's what he says. I do believe. Help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. What is the man saying? I do believe, but I don't know. I do doubt. I do believe, but I do doubt. I do believe, but I do doubt. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Does that mean God says, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Unless your faith is rock solid, I, it, it's, it's in the somewhere that I can't heal. What does Jesus do here? Well, he just heals. He heals the boy. He doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm sorry. If you could have mustered up a little more faith, maybe a little bit more convincing. If you could have been a little more convincing about your faith, maybe then. Man says, I do believe, but I, I do have doubts. Jesus heals the boy anyway. 
Um, Why would Jesus do anything different today? Have you ever asked yourself that? Some see the, the prayer of faith as a series of command. You rebuke the sickness. You command people to rise and walk. And Yes, I know Jesus did that. Yes, I know the apostles did that. But you show me anywhere in Scripture where we're told that we're to command the sickness, we're com- to command the darkness. That's not a prayer. Uh, you know, commanding and demanding is not a prayer. In the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament do I see anyone being told to command sickness or demand healing. I don't see that as prayer. To me, prayer is this. Biblical prayer is making a request of God, not a series of commands to sickness or darkness or getting, telling people to do things or whatever. That's just my two cents. So, the church is, first thing I want to say is the church is a place for healing. Secondly, the church is a place where we find community. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, and this is really going back to the whole thing I began with. The church is not a building, it's a community. There are between, depending on how you break it down and the list you look at, there's between 35 and 30 and 55 one another statements. Love one another, bear one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm sure hopefully you all did that as you gathered today. Uh, but the point is, uh, we have all of these one another statements, right? And then the writer of Hebrews says this, because here's where I think, and this is why I think life groups is so important. Uh, one of the things I love about the Mops ministry is it creates a community because the mothers, the, the mothers all kind of meet at tables and they get to know people, other mothers on a, on a more intimate level. They get to know and they be, begin to develop, develop friendships and relationships, which is really important. And, and notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. Two things about that passage that I misunderstood as a new Christian. Number one, I thought that meant going to church on the weekends. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What I think he's talking about is connecting with other Christians on a regular basis. And all the more as you see the day coming. Well, I said, they see the day coming. Hey, Sunday's coming. Get ready for church. No, 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 no. It's the second coming of Christ as the world. And what does it say about in the Bible, uh, prophecy-wise, about the world as before Jesus comes? It's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get darker and darker. It's going to get harder and harder. And what do you need there? You need more community than ever. You need more support than ever. You need more prayer than ever. You need people more than ever. You need people on your side supporting you, helping you more than ever. So what he says is as you see that dark day, that you know the, the day's getting darker and the Lord returning, don't forsake assembling together, getting together with other people who you can find friends with. Why do we need friends? Because we need, we need to be genuinely known. 
We need people to know us, not just know I work here or you work there and you have, I think, three kids that don't know their names, don't know anything that's going on in your life. You're married to some lady. I think it's Margie or Mary or Betty or... Those are very different names, right? Um, but you don't know them. You, you, you know about them. You, you have an acquaintance with them, but you don't know them. You, have, you really have no connection. Um, we need play, a place, we need a community where we can find deeper relationships. And it takes time. The kind of depth that you're going to have with these relationships can't take place in a room like this, in a place like this. Even if you're here every weekend, you can't do it. Uh, we feel that Life Groups has the ability to grow lifelong, deeper friendships. And when you really know people and they really know you, they become your best friends. You do life together with them. When something happens to them, you're the first to hear about it. Um, secondly, we need to find lovingly, we need to be lovingly supported. Uh, we need uh, the type of relationship when times get tough, instead of people talking about you, they come alongside of you and pray with you and they help you. You know, with the mobility of our society, most of us no longer have that family support and some of us had a family support and it really wasn't healthy and it wasn't good. And so we desperately need healthy relationships with other Christians. And some may be further down the road than us. Some may not be as far down the road with us. But we have people in our lives that know us and we know them. And it's important to have those relationships. Um, number three, we need to be honestly challenged. We need people who can speak into our lives. They have been given permission to call us out on our behavior and encourage us uh, if, we're, if we're moving in a good direction or in a bad direction, right? We all need this kind of support, these kind of supportive people in our lives. We need these trusting relationships where we could share our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits in a trust, trustful, loving relationship. We need to be able to have that. Now, I want to just say this. In a, if you're in a, a, a life group, it may be that if you're a guy in a life group, that you'll find another guy and there'll be a friendship between the two of you. Now, you'll be, there'll be a, little, you know, a certain amount of transparency within the group, but within that life group, uh, you'll be semi-transparent, but with that other person, the transparency gets even deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and, and that's what happens over time. Um, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you see somebody who claims to be a Christian, and but they're behaving badly? What do you do? You may know their name. You may have gone out to dinner with them once or twice. Uh, you, you, they're an acquaintance. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You do nothing. Most of you do, do nothing. You, 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 why, why don't you do anything? There's two reasons. Number one, you think it's none of my business. Who am I to go talk? And that's the second one. Who am I to go talk to them? I have issues too. So those are the two reasons why we don't do it. But if it's somebody you know like family... Somebody that you meet with on a weekly basis, somebody that you care about and love deeply, 
Somebody that you've spent years and years and years doing life with and you see the wheels start coming off, what do you do? You go to them and you say, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Why are the wheels coming off? I'm hearing this. I'm seeing this. Is this true? How can I help you? What can I do to help you? And, and it, it's, a different, it's a different relationship. You'll speak up. You'll get, because you have a concern for the well-being of this person, you can't step aside and say, well, it's none of my business. But see, this only happens when there's an ongoing, deeper, loving, trusting relationship. And this takes time to build these type of relationships. But that's what James is talking about. Because he's going to say in a minute, confess your sins one to another. When's the last time you did that? Hey, Bob, can we talk for a minute? Yeah, what's up? I just want to confess my sins to you. And Bob goes, oh, really? Okay, well... How about no, <laughs> you know? Um, but think about that. Confess your sins to one another. It's not a first meeting. I mean, if you get into a life group, I just will say this. If you get into a life group and the, and the leader says to you, okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do those one another statements. And it says in James to confess your sins to one another. So who wants to start? I would say, okay, you know what? I think I left something in the car. I'll be back. Never. <laughs> That's not happening. Okay? But I could see where you could be in a group and to, you, know, you, you could be two women who grow in a relationship over the years or two men who get to be friends and really do life together and you begin to confess your sins to one another. You give the other per- person the permission to call you out when they see things going on. Because there's a deep life. that you, Most of us don't have those relationships and we're afraid of those. But they're trust built and it takes time for that. We need to experience compassionate accountability. Notice what, uh, this is Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just read it to you. He says this, For you once, you were once darkness, but now... You are the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know what I found in my own life, and maybe you found it too? Sometimes it's hard to see when you're straying into the darkness. Sometimes it's hard to see it in your own life. You you see it in other people, right? It's kind of easy for you to see it in other people. But it's hard to see it in your own life. And you know what? That's what life groups are. Life groups are places where uh, people around you, the people who know you, the people who can see what's going on, and we need people like that in our lives who can call us out, who can say, hey, what's going on? What's happening in your life? What's, what's going on? And Galatians uh, 6 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Uh, then they, will, they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. How do you know when the wheels are coming off? When somebody that you know, somebody that you trust, somebody that you've done life with says to you, are the wheels coming off because they look like they're coming off? Hey, what's going on with you? And we need to understand that there are some things that you were never meant to face alone. 
that's a hard concept for some of us to grasp, for me to grasp. You're never meant to take life on alone. God created you for community, to have a community around you to handle when life gets hard. So we had a situation this last week. And it, it, it was the beauty of community that played out. A young family was down south vacationing with family. A little two-year-old boy wandered off, fell in the pool. The uncle was upstairs, saw the child laying face down in the pool, jumped in, saved the child. They did CPR. They helicoptered them, uh, took them to the intensive care. He's fine. And the interesting thing about that was the community. There was so much community around this couple, around this family. So much community. Uh, you, you, you see it on Facebook. It was just like, if the pastor is the first responder in a tragedy, that's a problem. I heard about it from two or three different people after the fact. My wife heard about it before I did. That generally is the way it works. I'm okay with that. But my point is this. If, if the pastor is the first responder, that's a problem. But the beauty of community was the community was the first responder. And the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. And I kind of like stepped back and community was doing what it's supposed to do. Love and support and help. A family that just went through a terrible tragedy, a terrible scare, fearful. That's community at its best. That's the way the church should be. That's what the church is. It's not a building. We have two campuses, but it's not either one of those campuses. It's a community of believers. And I'm going to just tell you that the more that you, you, you engage and get plugged into the community, the more you'll find what I'm talking about. We need a forum for personal confession. This is where he says confess your sins one to another. And, and probably this is the deepest level of community that there is. I mean, you don't get much deeper than this. This is it. Proverbs says this, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, we always look at this and we say, this is a private thing. This is between me and God. Right? We all, need, we all know we need to confess our sins to God. 1 John 1, 8, 9 so basically says, John says, if you hide your sins, if you conceal your sins, if you blame shift your sins, if you put it on someone else, if you say it wasn't a big deal, there's no forgiveness. But if you confess your sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive you. So we know that's true. We know we need to confess our sins to each other when we say or do something harmful to the other person. We know that if we say or do something harmful, we know we need to go to that person and say, would you please forgive me? What I said, what I did was absolutely wrong. It's all on me. It's my fault. It's my responsibility. I repent and I ask you if you would forgive me. We understand that it's taught in Scripture. 
But there are times when we need to confess our sins to the person because we need help. That's one of the tenets of AA. That's one of the tenets of Celebrate Recovery. That you confess your sins to one another. Because why? Because I need help. I need community. I can't handle this on my own. I need somebody to come alongside of me and help me and call me and and help me to make the hard choices when I don't really want to make the hard choices. When I was a boy, I went to confession. I went to to confess my sins to a stranger. And James tells us that we need to have a friend. Friends that know us and we know them. And we confess our sins to them. And they've got our back. And they want us to succeed. We all need someone who can hold us accountable. Who can pray for us. Who can check in us to see how we're doing. Here's the bottom line. We all need this. God created us for community. He created us to do life together. And we were not meant to do life alone. The church is not a building. It's you and me in community. That's the church. That's what James is talking about. It's a place for healing. It's a place for community. Jesus, I want to close with this one verse, uh, two verses from John. And and if you don't know this chapter, John is praying, uh, or Jesus is praying, is people, theologians call it high priestly prayer. And it's really the big last prayer that Jesus prays in the upper room when he's with the disciples, when he has the time of communion. This is part of the prayer he prays. This is what he says. So he's been praying for his disciples. He's been praying for others. And then he prays for us. And he says this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples and the others that he was praying for. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. It's us. Do you realize that Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago? So the question is, what did he pray for? I pray for those who believe in the message, in me through their message, that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And what I think Jesus is saying here is we are one when we are in community with others. And we are supported and we are loving one another and we are caring for one another. And Jesus is one of the most powerful testimonies of the church. Will be when you're when your little boy strays and falls in the water. And the community steps up and covers that family in prayer and deeds and love and mercy and grace. He says, I pray that they would be that kind of one. That one, when one of them hurts, they all hurt. And that only happens when you're in a small group where you know them and they know you. And their small group was the first responders. That's how we become one. And that's how it's a testimony of the world. Who basically says, boy, if something like that ever happened to one of my kids, I don't know if anyone would be around me. I don't have family that are around me. I don't have family that even I could turn to. 
I don't have that. That's the kind of community the church was meant to be. Let me pray. Help us, Father, because this is so important and so necessary in the world. It's uh, so segregated and uh, we are in our different places and we are so mobile as a, commu- as a society and we're, we're busy all the time doing all these things that we just don't have time. And yet, this is the one thing we so desperately need. We need these relationships. So, Father, I pray that we would find a community within this community that would know us and we would know them and we would do life together with them and they become our best friends and they would become the first responders in our lives and we would become the first responders in their lives. That's what our prayer is, Father, that we would be one like you are one. Help us to just understand the power of community and how we so desperately need it for so many reasons. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.